Last time I spoke, a friend of mine said, you know, you probably should tell these people who you are, because you're not Todd, obviously, and he's not here today. And um, so my name is Dave Beatty. I'm an associate pastor. I've been here for, this is my 18th year. And um, that means that... My thought on that is that somebody just hasn't figured, you know, <laughs> hasn't figured out my song and dance yet, so you know, I'm still, you're still stuck with me, but thank you for that. I first heard about the West Bowles Community Church really uh, longer than 18 years ago. I heard it about almost 22 years ago. A friend of mine, uh, Brother Bob McPherson, was helping this church. Uh, I had worked for him 20 years at the, West Bowl, or the uh, Riverside Baptist Church, and he was um, helping this church get its first building built. And the first building was that little uh, chapel over there. We call it our youth building now. And uh, uh, he came to see me, and we were just talking about things. And he said, this little, this little building is so frustrating. He said, it's so hard to get this thing done. Said, Every time we, we do something, we run into a problem. And it, and it seemed so peculiar to me because I knew that Bob had been involved in huge projects uh, in Texas, building churches, and in Denver, um, on the Platte River Drive and then over on Diamond Hill and those were really complicated building projects so this little one it just didn't make sense to me uh, that he would run into so many problems and he told me uh, a few years ago that he, uh, had a, he had an idea for a sermon that he never preached but he gave me the title to it and uh, the title is You're Sitting in a Miracle and um, the miracle it really is um, that God has been so faithful to this church to see us through so many little difficulties. Um, and I, I think his idea was that for every instance of opposition and, and roadblock along the way, those were opportunities for God to show himself faithful to us. And they got that little church built um, in about 1991. And then when we went to build, the same pattern uh, was in place when we built this one. And we just ran into problem after problem after problem. And every time there was a problem, God showed us that he was faithful. Let me, let me tell you just two, um, if, if you don't mind, if you can indulge me for a second. One is um, the, the, the chair you're sitting in. I call those Velvet Elvis chairs. And I stole that, you know, that, I repurposed that from uh, um, uh, somebody else's uh, phrase. But the reason I say that is, is because where they came from. They came from a municipal auditorium in Memphis, Tennessee. And, you know, just the color and the, 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 uh, the, the fabric on those kind of makes you think of Elvis, doesn't it? And the fact that they're from Memphis. We had a guy in the church who was a seat broker. That was actually his business. And he found seats. He bought and sold theater seats for movie theaters uh, uh, in particular. And so he was going to help us get the seats. And we went to look at his samples, and they were just awful. I mean, they were bright yellow or bright orange or, you know, some real strange-looking fabric. And we thought, we'll never be able to use those. And one day he came along and he had a sample, this, a sample of one of these. And we looked at it and we said, wow, that's fantastic. And so we got him. He sold them to us for what he had in them, which was 43 bucks a chair. We wanted 1000 and he thought he had 1000 but something went sour for him. And a couple hundred got sold somewhere else, so he, he could only give us 800 so we decided um, we would check into what it would cost for, for these chairs. They were about $230 a piece. So that was going to cost us like 180 some thousand dollars for these chairs. That was way past the budget. We got them for $43 a piece, so we saved an incredible amount of money. And those are the, just the best chairs. They're beautiful. 
God provided. I have to tell you, um, when, we, when we went to, uh, when we were, we were preparing to build this, uh, this building right here, we had to go to the county commissioners. And we had to get their approval for this church. And uh, at that time, um, the process was that you were assigned a caseworker from planning and zoning. And they would do the preliminary work with you so that when you went in to see the commissioners, you had all your ducks in a row and you could get them to agree to let you build your building. Well, on the day we went out to the, to the county, uh, there were, uh, I think, four of us on the staff. And we, uh, the guys in front of us all you know, had on three-piece suits and looked all sharp. And we looked like we had just got done working on the church's parking lot. And so we thought we're in trouble in the first place. But, but, but as we walked into that meeting, the caseworker from planning and zoning said to us, planning and zoning is not going to support your project. So we're, go- we're about to go to see the commissioners to get permission to build this building, and planning and zoning is going to say to the commissioners, we don't support this project. It seemed like he could have told us a little bit sooner <laughs> than, than, you know, that morning. But um, so we went in, and, and sure enough, he told the county commissioners that, he did, they did, that planning and zoning didn't support this project. It was too tall. We had this huge flag gallery, you know, that we use at Christmas time to raise and lower sets and lights and all this kind of stuff, and he just thought it wasn't, gonna, it wasn't a good project. And the county commissioner said... We like it. Somebody had just, somebody a couple of years before had built a church that was like a box. I mean like a cube. It didn't have any windows, didn't have any architectural interest to it. And they were reacting to that and they looked at ours and it had all these uh, cool angles, you know, and, and different levels. And they said, we like it. Here's your permit. God provided. God showed himself faithful against, uh, against that opposition that we were up against. So that seemed to be our experience. Well, I'm not going to talk to you about the building all day this morning, but I do want to talk to you that the, about the building that is God's church. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we look at what you have to say this morning, would you just um, open our eyes and our hearts to hear uh, your message, to, to be challenged by your thoughts, and then... Hopefully, Lord, to change how we look at things. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said in Matthew 16, this little five-word phrase, I will build my church. Now, when we uh, look at that and we put it in context, there's something that comes before it and there's something that comes after it. And usually, um, our attention is occupied by what is before and what is after. What's before is Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, And Jesus said, um, you are Peter, which meant rock, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. And we uh, know that there is some controversy in our thinking and the way that people look at that statement. Because there are those who look at that as the uh, rationale and the theological basis for the papacy. That Jesus was saying, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. And we obviously don't look at it that way. But that comes before that that little five-word phrase, I will build my church. And so we kind of stop there. And then we also look after, and and after it says, Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we think about what that means, and does that mean that the church is going to make it through any opposition that comes against it? And I think that's true. Or that the church will accomplish its mission no matter how strong the, the, uh, the stronghold that Satan and hell has on the culture. And I think that's true, too. What I want to camp on, though, is not that. I want to camp on that little phrase, I will build my church. Sometimes, 
sometimes I think we forget who builds the church. That, uh, that's not to say that we sit passively by and just say, okay, Jesus is going to build his church. We have a part to play, for sure. And Paul calls us um, fellow workers with God. So we cooperate with God, and he, we let him tell us what he's going to do. But Jesus is the one who said, I will build my church. At the end of the day, the church belongs to Jesus. So the important point is that we should look for and be prepared to follow his leadership. Not our own. We're not smart enough to build a church. And a, a church in this culture is an impossible um, endeavor for, for a lot of different reasons. I, I often think about churches, and I think churches are sort of like bumblebees. You know, on paper, a bumblebee shouldn't even fly. It, the, it, the engineering's wrong. They just shouldn't be able to make it, but somehow they do. And on paper, as you look at the church, you think, this thing just shouldn't fly. But it does, because it's not our business, it's his business. And he said, I will build my church. Jesus is the master builder of the church. So I want you to hold on to that thought for just a minute about Jesus as the master builder. Notice, too, that he says he will build his church, not a school, not his community center, not his charitable foundation or his social service organization, as important as all of those are, and and we are involved in functions like that. It's the church. The church is unique. It has a specific purpose in the world, and it's built with specific materials. And that's what I want to uh, talk to you about this morning. Paul gives us some insight into the nature of the church that Jesus is building in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Now, a lot of the times when we think of what uh, Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians, we think really of the 6th chapter where he talks about our bodies as the temple of God. And that's certainly something we, we need to understand. But here, he's talking about us collectively as the church. He was talking to a group of people that were contentious. They would fight about everything. They fought about who was the best preacher. They, they fought about how they should do the Lord's Supper. They fought about who, what were the most important gifts. They fought about, I mean, they were just contentious. And so he had to say to them, stop it. Stop Stop worrying about that. Don't you know that you collectively are the temple of God and that he dwells in you by his spirit? That means that the world that looks at you sees God. So if they see a bunch of Christian knuckleheads fighting all the time, that's their impression of who God is. So he said, don't you know better than that? Of course you do. What does it mean that we're the temple? The temple of God. Well, what is a temple? A temple is a place where God dwells in this world. To the Jews, the temple in Jerusalem was a sacred place just because it was where God dwelt. Remember uh, a few weeks ago we talked about Jeremiah and how much trouble Jeremiah got in because he told the people that Jerusalem would fall and the people said, that's blasphemy. You can't say that. You can't even believe that because why? Because God's temple is in Jerusalem. God's presence is here. And so God will never desert Jerusalem. That's how they looked at a temple. So a temple is where God dwells. Listen um, how he continues in verse 17. He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, 
And then he ends it with these words, and you are that temple. You are the place where God dwells. When I walked into the church this morning through those doors, I didn't walk into the, to the, to the church. I, I walked into this building. But when I walked into the building, I didn't walk into the church. I didn't walk into the place where God dwells. That's here. That's right here. Here, now. Now I'm in God's temple. Because I'm among you. We are the place where God dwells. Not this steel structure. This is a great building. And it's a great tool for ministry, but that's all it is. It's not the place where God dwells. God dwells in you and he dwells in me. And that's what Paul is saying to us. So we have to be wise about that. He amplifies this notion in Ephesians 2. So just hang on to that thought that he says that we are the temple, we are the dwelling place for God. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, this is what he says. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. He's talking really to people who, uh, to you and me as Gentiles, and how we've been included now in the family of God, in the household of God. And that's why he says, consequently, you're no longer aliens and strangers. <clears throat> in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God lives in this world by his spirit in the church that Jesus is building. So this temple that is the church that Jesus is building is to be a dwelling in which God lives. It's not, it's not a building like this. It's the building that is you and me. So we can take that one step further. Paul has amplified uh, that, that statement, but now... Peter tells us this about the church in 1 Peter, <clears throat> chapters four, or, uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What captures my imagination in that statement is the idea of us as living stones who are being built together. And as we have seen, the master builder is Jesus. What comes to my um, mind, if you can indulge me for a minute, the picture that comes to my mind um, is something that, that I experienced when I was in college. When I went to college at CSU, I would come down in the summers, in the summers to work. And there was a man in the church that uh, I was attending who hired me to be the gardener for the church. He, he owned um, a landscaping business and some, the country fair garden centers uh, in Denver. And he looked at the, the church and he said, our landscape looks terrible. So he hired me to be the person to take care of it. I gained his trust over that first summer. And then the next summer he hired me not only to take care of the church, but to be his own personal gardener. And he had built a house. His name was Chuck Wattenpah. So um, I never, I'll never forget that name. And some people in the first uh, service actually knew that, that name and knew that guy and his family. Um, and anyway, he had built a house, and he was landscaping the backyard. He was a meticulous guy. He had um, somehow the flattest backyard that, I mean, you, you know, it was perfectly level. 
in a beautiful square. And around that square, he had laid a foundation. And then he told me his intention was to build a wall, a retaining wall, on that foundation. And then he put his bushes and plants and things behind that. My job, well, first of all, he, he, he bought the flagstone from Boulder or Lyons or someplace like that. So it would come in these big trucks, and they would empty them, the dump truck. And my job, which was highly intelligent, skilled work, was to take the stones that were in these piles and lay them out on his flat backyard so that he could come along and he could pick which stone went where. So he said it would be a mortarless uh, uh, stone wall. Well, I, I didn't know what that meant, but now, now I know what it meant. It meant that there wouldn't be anything in between the joints to hold it together. So I watched him over a period of time. It took several months, and he would just very carefully look at each stone, and then he would put it in place, and then he would fit the next stone to it. Sometimes he had to knock off a sharp edge, or sometimes he'd reshape a stone just a little bit. Some of the stones were, were long and narrow, and some of them were kind of short and squatty. Some of them were heavy, some of them were lighter. But he fitted them all together in this beautiful wall that he made all the way around his backyard. Now that's the picture, I think, of what Peter is saying to us. That we are the living stones, Peter and Paul really together, we are the living stones, the material of which God is building his church, his dwelling place to live in this world. And he's fitting us together just as carefully as that man did, Mr. Wattenpot did, for the, the stones in his wall. I love that it doesn't say, you are the living bricks. <laughs> First of all, this doesn't sound right. But second of all, <laughs> bricks are uniform. They're all the same. So really, you could interchange one brick for another. Uniformity is not unity. Uniformity might lend to strength, but it's really not unity. Unity is when we're all different and we're still joined together. And trust me, you're different. We're all different. We all come with strengths and weaknesses. We all come with baggage that we have in our lives. We all come with, um, in different ways into our relationship with God. But he's fitting us together very carefully to be the living stones of which he's building his church as a dwelling place to live in this world. Man, that's a great picture. That just, uh, that's great. Jesus is the master builder. He's building a dwelling place for God out of living stones. That's you and me. Each stone is carefully selected and placed so they fit together. All the stones are related to the chief cornerstone from whom they draw their strength. And the stones are interdependent. We need each other. Yeah, you need me. And I need you. Because that's how God is building this church. Interdependent. So our unity comes from our relationship to the builder, Jesus, and from our relationship to one another. We're unique. We're fit together. And God is doing something great. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we sometimes uh, just don't see the picture because um, we get kind of narrow in our focus. So we pray that you help us to step back sometimes and look at what you're doing. Help us to see that you've made a place for each of us. Help us to see that there are places for others that uh, you want to include and that we will be open and willing and, 
and excited about them joining us. And Lord, help us to um, buy in to what your ultimate purpose is, to be, for us to be your dwelling place in this world, to show Jefferson County and Denver and the world what you are really like and that you love them. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen. Well, I don't have a benediction for you. Thank you. So here's my blessing. Go get a free donut. We're coming this morning, okay? See you next week.